Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Saturn Box Podcast, where discussions of philosophy meet the liminal space we weave in dreams. This is your favorite candle connoisseur and strong believer in sexual metaphors within mysticism, Michaela Ann. On this week's episode, we have candlemaker, sorceress of ecstatic mysteries, and devotee of Babylon, Sarah Jezebel Wood, joining us. Sarah and I spend some time waxing poetics, if you will, on the depth of spellcrafting and discipline that goes into her talismanic candle line, Lovi Arts. We also discuss the hardships of marketing an occult business through social media and the connection between candle making, dancing, and the goddess Babylon. Why is tension necessary for ecstasy? In what ways does candle making represent a saturnal process? How can one be in charge of their desires, as opposed to one's desires controlling you? Is there power in silence? Sarah brings an immense amount of joy and humor to complex issues of mysticism, navigating skill learning, and embracing one's will despite the hardship of the path there. This episode is filled with nuggets of wisdom and deep insights. Certainly not one to be missed. If you find this podcast interesting and want to show some support, consider checking out the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Saturnbox. I can also be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Saturnbox. Well, it's really wonderful to be here. My name is Sarah Jezebel Wood, and I am a candle maker, Chandler, if you will, uh, a dancer, a photographer, um, a devotee of Babylon, and many other spiritual works. And I'm super excited to be here today to talk with you about anything and everything that falls under those purviews. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, I really want to hone into how you said Chandler of the candle. Chan yeah, Chandler. It's so Chandler oh, is the Chandler. word, yeah, for candle maker. It's the fancy word. <laughs> okay. You learn something new every day. Yeah, many people don't know it, so I kind of use both. Um, but you know, it's interesting to think of Chandler and Chandler, right? The similarity in pronunciation and what candles can do for us um, in a, any type of work, magical or personal, you know, there's, there's an essence of candles that can in themselves be a spirit or an entity. And I think of candles like that often. Um, so when I work with them, I feel like there is this kind of bond or this intelligence or conversation that's happening between me and the candle that I'm creating. So there is a sense of channeling, you know, there's a sense of communication. Um, 
that, you know, I mean, it's easy to pour wax in a wick, sure, but the type of candles I choose to make, I hope are a little bit more than that, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you utilize like materia and scents and colors and stones. Yeah, so Lovi Arts, which is my business name, kind of came through towards the end of 2020 as a message from my ancestors, funny enough. I did not see it coming. I did not have it in my heart to be a candle maker before 2020. You know, the pandemic brought a lot up for all of us, I think, and we found ways to use the energies and, you know, process as much as we could. And for me, that ended up being a deep dive into some of my Finnish ancestry and this really wild, random communication to start making candles. And so I was like, all right, candles in winter make sense to me. I can make candles. And it just kind of stuck. It, it, it hasn't left me. The work keeps um, speaking to me what, you know, needs to be made next or, you know, what visions of, you know, <laughs> wax and oils and scents and plants can come together to create something that's useful, sometimes very beautiful, <laughs> um, and hopefully a piece of a piece of magic that can be used, you know, frequently. Yeah, we love practical magic. Yeah, yeah. Candles are are. An, I don't want to say easy, easy isn't the right word, but accessible, you know, even if you didn't buy my candles, buying candles are something that you can do on a corner store, right? Like you can get them and you can say a prayer or intention and light it. And there you have a piece of practical candle magic, you know? And so with Lovi, just trying to take that essence and accelerate it, even add more, um, correspondence to it you know like trying to work with planetary energies in pouring and in creating you know the candles using poems and prayers in making the candles you know picking out scent profiles and the oils and the materia that are going to go on that and how that attributes either to the planet to the spirit to whatever entity that I'm working with you know, and just uh, letting it have its own life, letting it breathe its own life. <laughs> yeah, so it is kind of like molding. There's there's like something of alchemy involved, right? Because you take the wax and you take the materials and you take the extra vibrations of whatever sound you're giving the working as you're molding the shape. And then that kind of creates a home for this newly created energy out of all the bits and pieces that you were putting in. Yeah, absolutely. When I have made candles in the past and it hasn't been the right time or the right day, something feels off for me, you know, like I really prefer to try to work within planetary hours or working, seeing like the complexity, like I'm currently working on like a financial wealth candle, you know, which we all need a little bit of right <laughs> now with the way the world is. 
Yes. And the, and the intense uh, rising of costs that we're all seeing in the world. Um, and like talking about what day and what hour and then what influences, you know, like bringing all that to the table. So it's not just w one planet sometimes, it's multiple planets and their influence on something that can bring um, the light to it, you know. Yeah, that also kind of creates a uniqueness and a specialness to it because you can only pour so many candles within the allotted electional time. So even if you were to make another batch of wealth candles, the snapshot of the electional would be different. So it would still be slightly different the second time around. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and it's it's funny because I have in the past, like I have some candles that I continue to sell and I do those on like sort of, you know, the Venus day or in the Venus hour or Mars day in the Mars hour. Um, and I have been creating more and more complex candles from that moment, trying to, haven't released them yet. This is all hush, 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 <laughs> not really, but like, yeah, I, don't tell anyone podcast world. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> like, you know, uh, as wonderful as those candles are, there's just more to be done. And the, the more specificity, I think, um, that there's more benefit to it to, I think the people who want to use those, like having that, um, information can kind of also help align people who are purchasing candles to kind of get into that like oh this is a wealth candle that will work with these planetary energies mm -hmm. in this way you know this would be good for this type of financial work but maybe not this type of financial work you know yeah definitely and i think that you've actually touched on something that i think a lot of people don't realize when they first start dabbling in witchcraft is like how many different planets or different spirits we can petition for things like wealth or love or health and how each planet and spirit will address that issue in a different way right. so you really do need to be particular because you know the moon can work for money yeah. mercury can work for money yeah. jupiter can work for money yeah. venus can work yeah. even saturn can work for money although that's a hard path that i would not necessarily just recommend for the faint of heart but yeah saturn can bring about business success hardcore yeah yeah it's some losses involved in that but yeah <laughs> and some lessons jupiter can too and sometimes the largesse of jupiter you want it in a certain way but not in all the way right yes jupiter's not inherently always positive right so it's kind of trying to get to the minutia a little bit um to get into those details and uh i, I look forward to releasing those candles you know coming coming in the spring summer i've been uh enjoying a little bit of uh you know downtime after the holidays as it were <laughs> oh yeah we need it yeah you know the holidays were wild so and i'm very very lucky to be making candles for folks and you know lovi's so new in its um in its creation and its birth that like i'm still a creator that's trying to find that path, you know, that 
that path that really works for Lovi. You know, we have a good path, but fine tuning that path. Sure. Yeah. So it's like your road is maybe too wide and you want to narrow it down to something. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, there's so many possibilities with candles, A. And a lot of the candles that are on the market, and I've made some of these candles, are just beautiful, fragrant candles, you know? And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. I've made some of them. I've sold them. And and they're they're fun and they're easy to make or easier, especially if they're in a container. Um, but a lot of people make those candles. You know, those candles are readily available. And so, you know, it's the process of, process of asking what are people looking for from me or from Lovi? What fits that, you know, world? Yes, you know, a fragrant candle, maybe they want to buy it for me because they support me and they love me. And and that's wonderful too. And I probably always like so, during the year on something, you know, release a fun candle, you know, <laughs> something that's just enjoyable. But I really kind of want to walk into that place of making more kind of like talismanic, you know, <laughs> effigies of flame for people <laughs> um, to take home, you know. And, and I have a lot of people who tell me that the candles, they don't want to burn them because they're too pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I definitely have had that problem with your candles before. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, well, that's great, but I want you to use them. So I like, I got to figure this out. What I did was I, I got the one for Inanna. Yes. And it has like, there, you know, there's no more wick to burn, but the, there's one wall that stayed. And so I've just been putting chime candles inside that. And now the Inanna candle wall is just a fixture of my my altar (laughs) oh I love that I love that and that's the thing with pillars that you get is because it's pillars are challenging on some level to make you know I mean they're not in essence difficult um but when you're a candle maker you think about all these things like burn times and appropriate ways like you know, wicking and, you know, what type of wax are you using? How hard is the wax? What color dye? I mean, all of these things affect a candle and its burn, right? And so pillars get tricky um, because there are also the outside elements that affect it too. Where is your candle? Is it in front of a window? Is You know, like all these things. But what I love is even if you burn through that pillar, just like you said, you get this kind of like, like this architecture. Yes. <laughs> Where you're like, ah, this once was this candle. <laughs> I can still use its properties in this way. And then you have all these weirdly shaped pieces of wax and you're just like, I can't get rid of these, but I just have them now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, like, uh, I know, like, the popular, I don't know, popular is not the right word, but maybe the mass, uh, you know, world of people who buy candles don't want candles to be messy. You know, they (laughs) they want candles to be clean and, like, dripless and just, like, contain themselves and not need any work. (laughs) But in essence, candles have always taken a lot of work, you know, especially pillar candles, like, before we had braided wicks, we used to use twisted wicks and those would co- need constant, 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 like every two hours, 
every hour, you're gonna have to go and trim the sides of the wick so that the, your candle would burn properly. So candles in essence are something that you should take care of, you know, like it should be a thing that you watch over, you know, even candles today always have warnings like about trimming the wick. And there's a reason for that. The trimming the wick keeps the, the flame at a level that is going to keep the candle in its shape, you know, and most people <laughs> like what <laughs> I light it and I leave it and it's done. <laughs> which I get, I get not wanting to fuss with it. But um, yeah, candles are fussy, much fussier than people think they are. Well, when I, I've been, you know, I have candles, I like to do seven day candles on my altars. Now, everyone gets another seven day, you know, for the past two years. Yeah. So I've been struggling with learning to do things like that. Or like find the appropriate brand that actually will last seven days yes. or like the the whole rigmarole because no one, you don't like walking past an altar, me personally, that doesn't have a lit candle. Right. I feel like they're asleep or they're resting. Yes. That's what I think of it. It's like they're resting now because there's some of my spirits that I don't wake up all the time because they shouldn't be awake all the time. <laughs> That's fair too. Yeah, I have those as well. Yeah. So I always think of it as like, ah, you're resting. Everybody needs rest. <laughs> we'll come back, you know? And then for me, in my, you know, uh, in my work, it's like lighting that big candle and itself becomes this essence of breath of prayer to, to begin something, right? Yep. Whether you're doing chanting or invocation or singing or just breathing, you know, like however you're choosing to work with, uh, entities, spirits, elementals. It's just like that candle for me is like, ah, we have begun. Yep. That actually reminded me of a question I wanted to ask you previous. In what, I know this may sound maybe weird, but hopefully you'll understand where I saw the connection. But in what ways do you find like your background in dance? uh kind of informs how you have gone about being a candle maker yeah it's it's interesting because i've thought about this i'm like well how you know i'm still a dancer i just don't dance publicly as much anymore um you know COVID aside it's just it's become more of a personal process recently i spent a long time dancing for others teaching for others constantly coming up with material and you know, being a part of that community, it was lovely. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Um, but there came a time where I was like, I need to like reconnect with my dance for myself and my creativity for myself and that movement for myself. And I feel like how it's kind of transformed into candle making in this world is, you know, I always think it's like one of the things that kept coming to me was when I first started Lovi is the dancing flame, right? Like how we watch a flame dance and move and maybe we interpret it. Maybe we're looking at the candle to give us messages. And I feel like in the same way, it's just like dancing is that movement and that creativity of spark and flame, right? Like there's something that you don't necessarily know which way you're gonna move unless you're in a choreography. 
but freestyle, you're just, it's, it's a feeling, right? It's a movement in the body that is in essence, a type of ecstasy, right? Like a type of euphoria. And I feel like flame and fire, that element in itself relates really well to that, that state, right? Ecstasy, um, euphoria, you know, inspiration. So I don't know, it just fits. It fits. And for me, like, you know, <laughs> the groundedness of the wax, which seems a weird thing to say when I say it, but when I think about it, you know, it's just like wax is water that catches fire. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? Like on some level in my head, I mean, in essence, it's way more complicated than that, than that. but um, it's a liquid, right? And when it, before it hardens, it also has this fluidity, this nature of its own. And I feel like that also really relates to the dance world, right? It's like constant movement, movement, trying to find center, trying to not find center, wherever you're going, you know, it's a process of, of creation. Yeah, actually, um, when you were mentioning fire as ecstasy, that was making me think of the lust card in Crowley's tarot. She, I mean, you don't have to view it as her dancing on the beast, but I've always kind of viewed it as her doing a little dance on the beast. Right, right. Well, I mean, if you just even think of the idea of riding a beast, you're not going to be still. Like, yes, mm -hmm. the card looks still, but it would be a whole process of moving one's body in movement with the beast you know and in the lust card you can definitely see that she is in a in, in a pose babylon is in a pose of ecstasy she's you know she's triumphant there's a power that is seating her there right like this is a powerful pose this is a powerful moment and so absolutely it's ecstasy it's movement it's 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 joy, you know, it's in itself a type of flame, you know? Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I, up until I started talking to you about all this, I could see the connection between like belly dancing and Babylon. Yeah. But not as much candle making in Babylon. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but now I feel like I see it a little bit more deeper now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is my, I feel like <laughs> the essence of my life is a lot of water that tends to catch fire, <laughs> which take it, take it as you will. But, um, it's the, it's that, you know, water has its own movement and it can be violent. It can be calm. It can, but it's not ever, well, sometimes it's stagnant, but you don't generally want water to be stagnant. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of things happen under the ocean, you know, a lot of things that we don't know about the depths, you know, and that to me, like, if we're going to talk about correspondences and we're going to talk about Babylon and we're going to maybe talk about Bina, right? And the essence of the Great Sea, right? Because in a lot of, philemically, she ends up in being in Bina often in that, in that space, she has other associations of, at different points, but uh, the, the main one that she gets categorized in is in Vina. 
So is she the the categorized mostly with the Sephiroth or with the pillar of severity in and of itself? The Sephiroth mostly. Um, I haven't read a lot of her being just strictly in severity um, because, you know, there have been you know, things that have been written, there are formulas that are attributed to her that kind of connect her to different places. But uh, like Yasod or Netzach, you know, these are uh, Gabora, like those are the three below. Um, so, and that kind of touches on both sides of the pillars. So not necessarily just severity, you know, because in Bina, she becomes, you know, the essence of the great mother, the mother of us all. Yeah, the womb. Yeah. The womb and the tomb. Yeah, and that's a good metaphor for her because there's a claustrophobia and like a darkness and like a harsh churning and regurgitating going on in uh, that womb of Bina. And even Tet, the letter that's associated with the lust card, it means to chew, like to chew food. So there's this like depth churning and regurgitating going on in the letter placement as well. And I think people, that's something people miss about ecstasy. Uh, I'm glad that you keep mentioning this like water catching fire because I think that that really does emphasize like ecstatic experiences is like these moments of the tension between two opposites. Yeah. That's where you find uh, your ecstatic consciousness. You, you're you never really going to have an ecstatic moment if you're on one side of the pillars or the other. You need to be oscillating in that space of tension between the two. Right. It's vibration, right? What is everything that lives? It vibrates at a different speeds, but it's all vibration, right? And the faster we vibrate or the more that we create vibration, however we choose to create it, is a moment to step into ecstasy. You know, like singing can vibrate, you know, it literally vibrates. It vibrates your throat, it vibrates your lungs, it vibrates your body, breathing vibrates, you know, movement vibrates. Like these essences of consciousness can be attained by all these tools. But yeah, it's that vibration. It's that, it's like that movement that really starts pulling at our, at our souls, at our astral bodies to, to elevate us into something that's even more than us. Right. Cause that's the idea of ecstasy is the becoming union with more than just us or the one, however you choose to see it. But it's like, it's an elevation. Mm-hmm. So that, that's making me think about like the ecstasy kind of symbolically represented by the candle in that there is a stability to it, but it's almost like you need that grounded stableness in order to make sure that the fire doesn't go out of control. Exactly. Which is kind of the other message of the lust card, which is like, if you are not in control of the beast, the beast will be in control of you. You'll Maybe you'll have an ecstatic moment either way, but is it going to go terrible afterwards when you wake up from that moment? Or like, are you going to be happy that you had that experience? Absolutely. And that's a great point because candle making in itself, in essence, is dangerous. You know, like there, we like to think of it as a craft, 
right? But let me tell you, when wax gets hot enough, it just busts. And you don't want that, you know? But that's the thing, right? There's there's this alchemy to a candle, right? You do have that stability and you have an understanding of how hot that wax can get before it melts, right? There's a reason why people are always told, don't leave a candle unattended. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason that's said and that's because, you know, you, it, it is a potentially dangerous object, right? It could set your house on, it has set houses on fire, right? Like, and we don't want that, you know, for anybody. Peace be to all the candles burning in your lovely homes right now. But, um, but yeah, you need that stability, you know, you need that, um, the space around it. <laughs> Proper caution. Yeah. You need the stage for the dancer to appear on. Really? <laughs> she <Yes>. needs room. <laughs> and I love this also kind of a comment if you are looking at the Saturnal correspondence of Bina. There's also this, like you were saying, I have to, you know, make sure that my wick is a certain material. I have to make sure it's certain length. I have to make sure that my candle like cools to a certain point before I add another layer if I want there to be stability. And those are all Saturnal things. Yes. Like we're making sure that the structure is correct so that the dancer can adequately perform on stage. Absolutely. Because if you don't, right, you end up with... I mean, all sorts of things happen to candles that people don't know about <laughs> unless you make candles. It's like wax can harden very strangely and not look the right way. It looks like curdled if you pour it at the wrong temperature. And you'd be like, what did I do? And it was just, it, it, you poured it too hot, you poured it too cold. And, it, and, it, and it's all based on the essence of the wax itself, what wax you choose. Like all these choices are very important, but yeah, it's a completely saturnal process. It's even more saturnal than I originally thought it was because it was like, oh, this is a lot of detail. Like if you really want to make a good candle, you really want to think about all of these things. Like, you know, you want to add the fragrance at a certain temperature. Great. And then you want to pour at a different temperature, but you got to get the temperature at the right height to even add the the fragrance, you know? I was like, oh, okay. And it took a lot of muddling for me and a lot of candles that smelled good, like when I made them, but didn't necessarily have a lot of throw or as much throw as I wanted. And that's all based on temperature, you know? And you don't, it's a lot of trial and error too, because as much of it is written down, like companies give you this idea, like when you buy, a wax, you know, of what the things are, but you've got to kind of work it out and make sure that's true for the fragrance and oils that you're using and, you know, the molds you're using and the things that you're trying to do with the wax. Like I try to always, like I'm, you know, I make the candle base, but then I decorate that candle and create a, basically another candle on top of it, Yeah, <laughs> which takes a while, you know, like, I love the the vision of those candles because they look like how candles should look in my head. Like, I'm like, all oh, candles should look so drippy and lovely and, like, <laughs> messy. I agree. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and also be able to perform well, which, you know, the truth is, is candles probably 
often looked like that in history because you know you're burning tallow you're burning inefficient waxes that would drip a lot faster but yeah extremely saturnal process and i have i, I i've stayed with it i've stayed with it <laughs> as like, saturn would want yeah exactly <laughs> i'm doing it daddy don't be mad <laughs> yeah yep Okay, so I realized earlier when we were talking about Babylon that some of my listeners may not really have a good idea unless they're involved in Thelema or OTO circles who you are or who we are talking about. So did you maybe want to give a little brief uh, introduction to the goddess? Yeah, so she has an interesting story and it's nearly impossible to encapsulate in a short time frame or a couple sentences but she really she <laughs> kind of evolved through Crowley's um but not just Crowley's you know we have essences of her with D we have essences of her in Inanna we have an essences like of her through time that she has appeared you know but the most famous I, or the most notable I don't know you know, the most talked about, let's put it that way. Because <laughs> I don't want to really alliterate that Crowley's the most famous, but you know, he's the most <laughs> talked about maybe. That she appeared to him in the visions of the Aether, right? The cry of the Aether, which is a working, a Nokian working that Crowley did. And she appeared to him in these visions and related completely to you know the whore of babylon originally where she you know he took a lot of inspiration from revelations and the bible early on in his childhood because his family was devout christians you know so he was very very informed on the ways of revelations and who the whore of babylon was and so we have this sort of like this creation of a goddess that has always been here. So it's kind of this odd thing where it's like, I think most of us who work with Babylon know that there is an ancientness that is kind of ineffable to the work that she does, even though she's become such a modern goddess in our eyes, right? Um, so we have this sort of biblical introduction and effects into Crowley's psyche and, you know, before that, we have the appearance of her through Dee's work, also scrying the Aethers. So there's this connection with the Aethers and her appearance. But she's she encapsulates that um, passion and lust and power and, uh, you know, ecstasy of, of being that is possible on this plane. You know, some people call her the goddess of witches, you know, where there is that essence of her that is wild and untamed and uh, ultimately sexual. And, you know, and really she is they, it's like, it doesn't, it's not, you know, like she's more than just one. Right. But um, I don't know if I did a good job on that. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to describe her. No, I learned something. I didn't know about that uh, connection with the Aethers previous so th would you say then that Babylon actually is likely more of a title than it is a name? It has been said, and I would say, and it can, I think it's both. 
honestly. I think that's the complexity of it. I think Babylon can be a title, but I think in essence, she it is, they are, it is an entity too, you know? Um, because we have a lot of, uh, I mean, there was a whole movement a couple of years ago about not your Babylon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was big in the like occult polemic circles where what was happening was a lot of, you know, magicians of certain elks were seeing their the women around them as Babylon, you know, and and while that could be true uh, if they were channeling, you know, like it gets complex, right? It's like not every woman is just Babylon, right? Like sure when she's just functioning or not every you know it's just it's it's a way there's a whole process that has to happen to take that on right there would have to be an a, a ritual or an invocation a vocation like that is occurring for to make connection but no one's like just babylon you know like your girlfriend's not babylon guys Sure, but this sounds like a misunderstanding based off of the way that mysticism employs sexual metaphor in a way that our average society is not equipped to handle. Uh, In that, even the lust card, like when I don't like to use my Thoth deck when I'm reading in the French Quarter because people just load their own meanings into the name on the card and i i'll have to be like no it's not talking about sex like it's not saying go out and have a lot of sex yeah it's saying like experience life experience the creation of life and stand in awe at the fact that life is constantly being created and dying simultaneously and allow that to kind of make you go holy shit ego death and you know this awesome feeling at the same time Mm -hmm. it's not about your girlfriend representing babylon because she's good in bed (laughs) exactly exactly so that's but that's the clarification of title you know like people kind of take that and be like oh <laughs> and it's more nuanced it's more nuanced it's like can a priestess or priest attain a state of babylon absolutely you know yeah well it's happened before previous uh there are plenty of stories even you know the i'm gonna forget her name but the woman that jack parsons insisted was babylon she took she took it on herself later Like, he tried to put it on her first, and she was like, no. And then when he and her split ways, she did her own invocation. Exactly. So you're you're speaking about Marjorie Cameron. um, Yes, thank you. Yeah. And so Jack Parsons, like, his whole goal before she walked into the picture, he was doing this Babylon working. He wanted to bring Babylon to Earth. That was his whole working. It's Libra 49. You can read about... um, you know, the processes he, he went through and it's basically his notes of the whole, you know, working, um, what he did when he did it, all of that. And, um, it's called the book of Babylon. And so that was his intent was to actually physically manifest Babylon in a living woman on earth. Right. And so then Marjorie enters the picture. And so his assumption is, 
ah, she has beautiful red hair, and she's this beautiful woman that's walked into my life. She is Babylon, you know, like you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like you know, a male occultist from that time period definitely would have done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and through her introduction and her work with Thelema and Babylon, yeah, she went on to do her own works with Babylon outside of Libra 49 and the Book of Babylon. She reclaimed her own, her own autonomy there. Good for her. Yeah. And I feel like Babylon is about reclamation in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. I mean, that would be my, my next question, I guess, is like, in your opinion, what would be the, the benefit of incarnating Babylon in an actual like physical body when it's really like an archetypal energy that sustains life already right like it's already on earth it's just not tangible in a in that way and it's interesting you bring that up because you know i've spoken to other magicians and other um, occultists who feel like it's extremely dangerous you know because they feel like babylon is so large and so archetypal and so many things at once and not all of them very easy things, you know, like there's this essence of love and war and passion and violence and like creation itself is messy, right? You know, and trying to inhabit all of that into a person seems, you know, ill-advised <laughs> to some, you know, and I think that there are others who, while maybe it's not a complete internal, you know, encapsulating embodiment of Babylon, are kind of touching on, like, maybe the tip of Babylon, as it were, you know, like, almost as an honorific, um, you know, like, a state of being. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, to me, it would be, you know, there's a difference between an invoking something completely into your body and like allowing yourself to completely be a home for a spirit right versus just channeling that spirit exactly. just working as like a mouthpiece exactly. a funnel for their words yeah so i'm just trying to figure out like what the purpose like what what would you benefit from getting babylon to completely invoke to completely embody i don't know i you know like that's a great question like annihilation maybe you know i think that would be a really good because or ecstatic rebirth you know like i could see that as well you know because really you know babylon is the the channel right the 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 adept goes through daath and meets the i'm gonna butcher this name i always do the demon and has this whole annihilation ego death experience and then is it rebirthed in Tabina through Babylon, right? Yeah, because you're not supposed to kill Karazhan. That's the beast you're supposed to learn how to ride. Exactly. So Babylon is the act of not killing your ego, but saying, I am, the ego is no longer in control of me. Exactly. I am in control of ego. Yes. Yes. I like that. Yeah. So how do you, you know, did you get into that through, are you in the OTO? Like, are do you do Thelema religious 
style stuff or was that more like birth I know I don't know what I'm saying birthed out of uh the belly dancing kind of naturally my introduction to Babylon did come through the thelemic current you know absolutely and um the work there you know because she is present there she's absolutely present there and she along uh with Nuit are two of the primary goddesses in thelemic workings um which I really, you know, we kind of go this fire water thing in my head, like, again, kind of maybe taking too much nuance out, but like you have Nuit, who is the encompassing one of the night sky, the all, the everywhere, the all things. And then you have Babylon, who is also like this, you know, the spark of spirit, of ecstasy, of rebirth, of, you know, regeneration. It's beautiful, you know? Yeah, the, this idea of Babylon, it's almost making me think of, you know how uh, Brahma is always copulating with his wife? Yes. And if he stops copulating, all of existence just ceases. Right. Like they actually are required to be copulating for existence to be and I feel like that is the Babylon metaphor is like she always is engaged in ecstasy so that we can even have any moment at all right and it's and and again like we bring this back to what we we're talking about earlier about vibrations just like the copulation in itself is vibrating with another individual right it's it's the that vibration <laughs> Well, and it's interesting because you, we're also going back to that same idea of tension and that e the ego death and being able instead of just to, like, we're not just doing ego death to go into some, you know, nothingness space. The ego death happens so that for that moment, you and the other person's egos are kind of merged together in this weird alchemical blending of tension right. you've like and and if and I hope I'm not getting too explicit for the podcast but like when you actually are engaged in intercourse if you're not willing to let let that tension if you can't just like let go and just be in the tension you can't actually have that ecstatic experience yeah yeah absolutely a hundred percent ecstasy is present through the extreme letting go of all of the the this <laughs> and it's actually hard to do that it is it's extremely hard and you know there are, i mean especially within an intercourse sometimes you know like getting out of your own head <laughs> yes <laughs> not thinking about all of the things that one could possibly be thinking about during that time and actually taking the moment to like celebrate the union that you are you know, participating in with that person, like there is an exchange of energy that is occurring with that person, you know, and the mindfulness, what is the practice of being mindful of that in a way that isn't being in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. Be, be experiencing it in the body, letting go of the mind so that that space that's above mind and body can kind of take over. Yeah. Um, so per I personally am not really a part of any Thelemic circles. So is this, 
you know, how she's discussed within Thelema as well? Or is there still, is there different camps of... There are definitely different camps. And I definitely don't speak for any organization or anything. You know, I feel like my experience is my own, you know, like with her and um, just, you know, the way that she's opened my eyes, the way that I've, I've experienced her in my life, you know, and through the communications with other magicians. But there are kind of, you know, Babylon has grown, you know, there are people who are working with her now that are doing a lot of incredible uh, work. Georgia is, is one of them. She's written a hymn to Babylon recently out um, and she has a temple to Babylon. um, And that's outside of the OTO. Like it's totally separate. So, you know, she kind of might've started within the realms of the Thelema current under the OTO, but, She's always been much bigger than that. You know, D is an example of that. You know, even the Bible, like if you kind of follow the current back to that way, I mean, you can follow the current in many other directions too. There are other examples of her that exist. Um, But Kenneth Grant is another occultist who did a lot of Babylon work. And he was in the OTO, left the OTO, started his own thing, you know, um, and for him, you know, there was a lot of discussions about the Kalas, right, and the sexual energy of that and what that looked like in Babylon. So, the, you know, the, the space that she held and uh, within Crowley's Babylon has now blossomed into so much more work that is being done currently, you know, by different occultists. And- cool. Do you feel like then there is, like, I know that some people kind of approach Babylon as a feminist figure. Do you view her that way as well? Uh, I know you said she is kind of liberating from maybe societal norms of gender role. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's even more than feminists, right? Like, I think, yes, absolutely, feminism is under her purview, but I think, you know, we can go beyond that. I think that's absolutely possible because, you know, Babylon isn't just for women, you know, it's not just a woman thing, you know, can she uplift women? Absolutely. Can she empower women? Absolutely. But she can empower anybody, you know, like she, regardless of gender or how people identify, I think that's really out the window, especially now that we have so much verbiage and communication that is happening and like learning and like, you know, we're in a different era and she has the ability to grow with that in a way. And I think she's always been that way. It's just like the binary is really easy for people to focus on because that's what they knew right? Like that's kind of the way that the world was presented to them. And now, but like, when I think of it, it's like, is energy binary? Like, is that a thing? No, you know? (laughs) I mean, mean, it is on the tree of life, but by the time it makes it to us, it's all intermingled so much. You're right. That's arbitrary. (laughs) It's arbitrary, right? So, you know, I believe that she she moves past just feminism and she uplifts, you know, all uh, any gender. 
any gender has the possibility and probability of connecting with her. I love this because she does seem more like a queer icon than like a blatant feminist icon. Totally. Especially if we're talking about like that she represents the integration of opposite. She is both the beast and the woman. It's not just the woman. The beast is also implied in that narrative. And that, you know, is both the yang and the yin energy, you know, working in unison with each other, which if anything, just goes to show how none of us humans, by the time we are pooped into existence, you know, we're not just masculine or just feminine. We have a mixture of yin and yang energy within us. And if we didn't, then we wouldn't be able to create at all. Right, exactly. Any art that I make is a, is a process of me dealing with the tension of opposites within myself. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. And I think that that is, that is the alchemy of it. Right. And that's the alchemy of Babylon too. Right. It's like that tension, that tension of potential opposites that aren't really opposites. Right. They're just two halves of a whole that are created another. Right. Like there's always that more, I guess, you know, there's always more. Yeah, and I like that that too. There's like this implication of no matter how much you find out about her, she will always expand because she is constantly generating so just as much as she's constantly destroying. So things that she maybe used to mean, she would no longer rule, but things that you did, didn't even exist, now she rules over those because she generated them. I mean... She's literally titled the mother of us all, right? And that's us all. She accepts all, everyone, everyone, you know? There's, Someone needs to. Exactly. And that's, uh, you know, it's not just these people over there or those people over there or the, the hot looking ones, you know? Like, it's everyone. It's literally everyone. Yeah, so it's not just women. It's not just men. Yeah. And she's known as the mother of abominations, right? So anything that's, she's also under the purview of everything that ends up transgressive or like, you know, not accepted. She is, she is their, she's their person. So, it, so, I mean, like you brought this up earlier that she has a connection to Inanna. And I mean, of course, there are a lot of goddesses who have a similar archetype, like, Ashida, Anath, uh, Ishtar. So do you have any, like, feelings about whether she, again, like, is Babylon just a title for this archetype of which Inanna is a part of? Or is she a new representation of this archetype? I think Inanna is Inanna. But I think there are essences that are found throughout time, right? And... Sure. Like when we talk about the spark of something or the thread of something that is beginning, what happens is we look to the things that it might have, that might have come before that have a similar frequency, right? And so while Inanna Inanna in Babylon is Babylon, they might have some of the same frequencies and vibrations, right? That are relatable for people. Oh, I like that. So it's like the, on the guitar, I could play an E chord or I could play E3. 
And they're super similar, but just this, like, minute difference in tonality that does give it its own attribute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lovely. Well, all right. This this has been a, a lovely conversation. I feel like I've learned so very much. I did not know a lot about Babylon walking into this, but I feel like I have a, a, a very clear clearer idea of what she is now so i i always like to ask my guests uh if they want to leave the audience with anything before we go so did you have anything maybe some some words of wisdom or some last bit of insight oh <laughs> uh what is what is my insight for today let's see well this keeps coming up for me in my personal work is no matter how anything looks, it's more about the work that is done behind it and the essence of inspiration and devotion that you apply yourself to more than anything else. Gosh, I love this so much. <laughs> is that like the culmination of your Saturn? or Saturn Venus times, your Venus and Capricorn times. Right. It really is. It really is. It came up in a conversation with somebody last night at dinner and we were just talking about how the world has a lot of hot takes. And we were talking about earlier about memes and how they, you know, they're everywhere. And it's so easy to kind of degrade concepts and information to a couple of words and, and to try to make a point that might be useful and might spark a conversation. Absolutely. But my response was, well, what about all the work, you know, like the work that needs to be done behind all of this? Like it's, you know, we don't get a chance to see that a lot, especially during these last two years. It's, been harder to be together, you know, and to, to be in community, right? Like we've been missing that, that essence of community, but it never changes. The work is, is what is, is the most important, you know, like the devotion, the time spent, you know, like what life are you living? I choose to have in my mind the life that I want to, to live because it's the life that I create, you know, it's, it's, I live it. I want to live a magical life. I want to do my magical devotion and my magical work. This is, this is what I choose. And it's more about that than anything that I could show anything about. Yeah, it's almost like the way that the internet has co-opted spiritual spaces. And I mean, you know, we love Venus. Nobody is talking trash about Venus. But, you know, Venus aesthetics and beauty are not the end-all be-all of a cult. And it has kind of become a bit, you know, your your most popular people on social media are the ones who are the most attractive or know how to take the best photo or, you know, are really good photographers. And I'm not, I would never discredit any of those things. Those are all skills in and of themselves and they're, you know, even knowing how to dress yourself or do makeup is a skill that I would never knock. 
But at the same time, those are not occult skills. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird to me that that has become the pinnacle of how to become a popular occultist. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like those are separate things, maybe a little bit. To me, yes. You know, like I can't help but go to the meaning of occult, which is hidden, right? The thing that, you know, and then we have the famous to know, to will, to dare. So it's like, it's, it's challenging to, for me, and maybe I'm older now. (laughs) You know, like I am willing to admit that. It's still hard to grapple with though. I understand. It's still a challenge, you know, like I have, I have folks in my life who are like, you should share more of what you do online. And I'm like, oh, it's so tricky for me. Like it's, it's a very, um, it's so personal. It's so, it's my life, you know, it's my heart, it's my soul, you know, and a lot of these things, it's, it's hard for me to think of like taking a picture and being able, and I'm a photographer, even (laughs) taking a picture and being able to really do it justice, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel that. I, I always am trying, I want to be the one that takes pictures of the really aesthetically pleasing altar I made. But like, if that's, if my spirit says no, yeah. if my spirit's like, don't you whip out that phone or I'll come at you. Yeah. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> no need to. Yeah, it wasn't that important, man. <laughs> it just wasn't. And it, and it, you know, and the, and I think that's the thing is like, the most magical things are still happening behind closed doors. Yeah, I I think, yes, that's such a good thing for listeners to hear, especially in today's day and age. Yeah, and and applying yourself to the work will will help you find the path, whatever you are looking for, you know, whatever that work is for you. Yeah, remember, it's an ecstasy. We want to both be seen and hidden at the same time. I know! (laughs) Never mind trying to run like a sort of occult business of candle making online. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's social media. It's an enigma. You know, I'm not going to say that this absolutely works because I think that there's some, something too akin to the faith healing sentiment. Um, But I like to think that as long as I am engaged in my true will, like whatever it was that I was delineated to to embrace, as long as I'm not fighting that. I may not be rich, I may not be the most popular, but I will at least be provided for because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do the accomplish my will. And if the universe like wants me to do my will. No, and, and it's true. It's like, it's like you have to, Social media is a necessary uh, playground or devil or however you want to talk about it. And know? there's nothing wrong with the devil no. if you can ride him properly. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You just, you've got to dance well, right? You've got to figure out what that is for you. Yeah, I think that's amazing advice. Thank you, Sarah. You're very welcome. Well, this was so enjoyable. Thank you again for joining us. Oh, I had a wonderful time. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. 